Welcome to Truly Wicked, a paranormal and true crime podcast hosted by me, Lexi Garza. This is my first episode that I'm recording, so please bear with me. I'm learning and trying to figure all this stuff out. Um, I will be having regular hosts on, so it's not usually going to be just me by myself. Um, I'll make sure to have a lot of other people join me and tell stories from their hometowns and uh, maybe hopefully at some point have listener stories as well um, so that we can really get the word out there for some other stories and some other areas and things like that. Um, so we're really looking forward to that and the things that we can do in the future and help it grow and become something um, really fun. So, without further ado, so today I actually have a local story from my hometown um, that I'll be talking about. Um, It is a little far back, um, but it's definitely the most famous in this area. Everybody knows about it. Um, Everybody talks about it. There's little urban legends and um, kind of little ghost stories about it and things like that um, around town that everybody knows. Um, So it's kind of of interesting. Um, And from what I've been able to find, not a case that very many people know about. Um, Even other podcasts, um, other crime shows, things like that, uh, I have only ever seen anything else on this case one other time um and it was kind of a little blurb on um like an unsolved type of a show uh, and maybe 10 minutes of screen time it was almost nothing it was just kind of an honorable mention not really um anything or any details given about it so uh i was hoping that it'll be a little bit interesting and maybe bring to the surface uh maybe some listener stories that other people haven't heard of, um, crimes and things like that that people don't know about or, you know, whatever the case, uh, and bring those to light, which is pretty interesting. Um, So I'm really excited to get to that part once we have um, listener mail coming in and different stories and things like that that we can share with everybody. I think it's really interesting, especially if, like, hometown stories. So, my story today is about Juan Viejo Corona, who's also known as the, where did I put it? Where did I put it? Sorry, guys. Technical difficulties. Here. Also known as the Machete Murderer, which I had never heard before, so that's why I had to look at it again, um, because I've actually never heard that name. Uh, But anyways, Juan Viejo Corona was born February 7th, 1934 in Altlan, Jalisco, Mexico on February 7th, 1934. He first entered the United States in 1950, crossing the border into California at age 16. Um, At the time, he did not enter the United States legally, so he didn't have any kind of documentation. He didn't have a green card, anything like that, um, which will matter later. Um, He was a farm laborer when he first came over, uh, mostly picking carrots and melons uh, in the the Imperial Valley um, for about three months before moving on to the Sacramento Valley, which is north of that. 
Um, his half-brother, Natividad Corona, had actually immigrated to California back in 1944 uh, and worked and settled in Marysville, um, which is just across the Feather River from Yuba City. Um, we live in a really small, t- teeny tiny area um, that's called the Yuba Setter Valley. So Marysville and Yuba City are sort of like twin cities. They're right across the river from each other and there's a small bridge that attaches them. Really, really small area, small towns, things like that. Um, but those both those cities come into the story later and so that's kind of important to know. Um, Juan moved to the Marysville, Yuba City area in May 1953 at the suggestion of his brother and found work on a local ranch. Um, In 1953, in October, he married Gabriela Hermesio. There's actually not a ton of information on her. I was only able to find that they were even married on Wikipedia. There was no mention of her in anything else, um, but I do know just from the locals that her... So his previous wives, because there's two, his previous wives, his daughters, um, his sister who ended up moving into the area, his mother, all of those people, after all of this happened and everything kind of came to light, um, they really sort of distanced themselves. They changed their names, moved um, moved to different neighborhoods and things like that. They really wanted to distance themselves as much as possible from the situation um, and to protect their information, not a lot of it was given out. So there's not much information at all on either of his wives. Um, But in 1955, the Yuba Sutter area actually experienced a huge flood. Um, So the Yuba Sutter area, it actually is surrounded by levees, which are um, like barriers. They're almost like really skinny hills and they run the length of the towns like the entire perimeter of the towns are protected by these levees so the idea is in the event of a flood the levee will catch the water and the empty orchard space and things like that that will catch the water and protect the towns um, where most of the residents live most of the businesses are things like that So, in 1955, we actually had such a bad flood that the levee broke, and it actually ended up flooding 100,000 acres and killing 74 people. Um, During that flood, apparently Juan Corona suffered from a schizophrenic episode. From what I was able to find, it was not noted that he had anything like that prior Um, So I would guess that it's maybe his first, maybe exacerbated by um, the stress and the uh, kind of difficult situation that he was going through at the time um, with the flood and all of that probably having to be evacuated. Um, I'm not sure if where he was living at the time, there's no notes on that. Um, I'm not sure if where he was living at the time was maybe affected by it. I know... um, my grandmother's house at the time she lived in the area that was flooded and it was flooded all the way up to the top of her ceilings in her one-story house so it was they were easily under 10 feet of water um so if his house was in 
the flood area and was affected by that, it would pretty much decimate his house. It would be ruined, gone. So um, I'm not sure if maybe that was a contributing factor. Um, after that, he was admitted to a mental, mental institution. He was actually in the mental institution for only three months, but in that time, he received 23 shock treatments. Um, and after the shock treatments, he was, I guess, pronounced recovered and was released. Um, upon his release, Corona was deported to Mexico because he was not documented. Um, so because of that, he was sent away. In 1962, he actually came back to California, this time with a green card, and was actually able to become a licensed labor contractor. Um, so he was in charge if I can talk, he was in charge of hiring farm workers and laborers and things like that to staff the local fruit ranches. Um, so again, in this area, we have a lot of agriculture. So we have a lot of orchards, fruit trees, um, plum trees, almond trees, rice, um, dairy, so much. There's, it's endless, honestly, it's endless. Um, one of the big growers in this area, a lot of people know of the Sunsweet brand, um, that's actually centered here. All their orchards are here. Um, so it's a really, really huge thing in this area. And we get a lot of farm labor, um, that come from other areas of the United States, of other countries, things like that. Um, and people come here and work the harvest season and then they'll just go and do something else. Um, but it seems like this was his main source of income and he was here all the time. Um, but that's basically what he did. All those people that come from everywhere to get a job, he found them and he was like, come over, I have a job for you. Um, most of the people it seems that he hired and most of the work that he did was for the Sullivan Ranch. Um, and that'll come in later as well. Um, so in May 1971, on May 19th, sorry, that's important, um, 1971, a farm owner who used Corona to contract field workers noticed a freshly dug hole in his peach orchard. Um, in the hole was the dead body of a man who had been stabbed and decapitated. His, According to deputies, his head had been hacked off and his body was riddled with stab wounds. The man would later be identified as Kenneth Whitaker, a 40-year-old homeless man from the area. Um, on this man, detectives found two meat receipts that had Corona's signature. Um, so, like, from a butcher shop, from what I could find. Uh, like, receipts from a butcher shop. And also, they found a Bank of America deposit slip with his name on it. Four days after that, uh, the Sullivan Ranch that we mentioned er that I mentioned earlier, where um, Corona did most of the hiring for the laborers in that area, the Sullivan Ranch is absolutely gigantic. Um, they have, at the time, they had um, quite a few workers to the point where they had an actual bunkhouse on the property itself to house all of the farm laborers. Um, so he actually housed the laborers, um, on that property in the bunkhouse and investigators found more butchered bodies there. 
They searched through the orchards and found even more. On May 26, 1971, police got a warrant and entered Corona's Yuba City home and arrested him. Evidence indicating his guilt was discovered and seized. Um, they had two. They found two bloodstained knives, a machete, a pistol, and bloodstained clothing. Um, he also had a work ledger that contained 34 names and dates, including seven of the known victims. The ledger became referred to as the death list by the prosecution, um, and it even recorded the dates of the dates the men were murdered. Police ended up finding 25 farm workers, a total of 25 farm workers found buried in shallow graves in peach orchards along the Feather River in Sutter County. Um, and Sutter County is all of Yuba City and even a little bit past that. Four of his victims have never been identified. Um, so there is a list. I was able to find it on Wikipedia. There's little snippets of uh, a couple of the names of some of the uh, more well-known victims, but the only place that I was able to find the full list was on Wikipedia, um, and they're just listed as Joe uh, as John Doe on that list. After a lengthy trial in 1973, um, f- so pretty much from 71 to 73, this trial was going on. Um, and finally, after 45 hours of deliberation, the jury found Juan Corona guilty of all 25 murders. And so he was sentenced to 25 consecutive life terms. And a pen- and it was a penalty so harsh that um, newspaper reported it elicited gasps in the courtroom when the judge handed it down. Um, so I guess it definitely was not um, expected, even though the the murders were so harsh um, and so gruesome and there was so many of them and that was really unheard of at the time there was nothing quite like this um, that had happened especially not um, in even the general area even from Sacramento you know that's close to us and things like that there was really nothing like this at the time especially not in such a short window um, because from what I was able to find all of these murders happened within um, about two weeks of each other. So it's really it's really crazy how many people he was able to kill and how brutal these murders were. And it was all in such a short period of time. And he was caught very um, kind of quickly. You know, you always hear about murders um, and serial killers and things like that that go go uncaught for years. You know, they're just out there killing and you know, doing their thing for years and they're not able to find them. So the fact that they were able to catch him in the course of uh, like a month, basically, from the first murder to when he was actually arrested was about four weeks, which is absolutely insane. That's so fast. It's unheard of, honestly. So um, at the time, the time... At the time, the crimes were characterized as mo- as among the most notorious in the in the history of the United States. In May 1978, um, Corona's appeal trial started. Of course, he appealed the decision um, and tried to, I guess, try and go a different way with it. Um, so his attorney actually told jurors that it was his late brother who carried out because his brother had died by this time. It was his late brother who carried out the killings. 
um, saying that he was driven by a, quote, maniacal rage that originated in, quote, the frustration of morbid sexuality. Uh, So he basically just tried to pin it on his brother, and he was like, yeah, my brother's a super weirdo. Um, Probably he did it. So um, I guess that didn't work because the trial lasted seven months, but he was, again, convicted on all 25 counts. Um, he was then transferred to a California correctional facility at Soledad and was stabbed 32 times and apparently, um, was stabbed in the face because he also lost an eye from that situation and later started to suffer from dementia, which he suffered from until he died. Uh, Corona finally intimated his guilt for the first time in a 2011 parole hearing Um, and when asked why he killed them he just offhandedly said the men were quote winos and had trespassed in the orchards Um, so most of the people that he murdered uh, come to find out were homeless men that lived in the air almost all of them Um, a couple of them were farm labor but the majority were homeless men Um, and he kind of I guess, explained it away by saying that, you know, they were just drunks and just wandering around in the orchard, so why not kill them? I'm not sure. Um, But basically, the judge was like, he has no remorse, there's no way, um, there's no way that he's ever going to be paroled. Um, So he actually was denied parole eight times because of that, Um, and probably other things that he mentioned that I could not find. Um, he was later transferred to Corcoran State Prison in Corcoran, California in 1992, and he served the remainder of his life sentence in the sensitive needs yard. Um, so I guess because of his dementia, they had him in a special area, um, for special needs, um, inmates, uh, because of his dementia. So he was, I said he was denied parole eight times and eventually died at the age of 85 from natural causes. And he died um, March 4th, 2019. So he has passed and um, is no longer um, causing any issues or anything like that. Um, One quick snippet, a local legend says he even kept bodies of a few of the men he killed in a local restaurant. So there is a local restaurant in town called the Silver Dollar Saloon. Everybody knows about it. It's huge. Um, it's a really, it's the the oldest or one of the oldest um, buildings in Marysville. It, kick, it backs right up to the levee. And um, it's one of the oldest buildings in Marysville. It's super haunted. She used to be a brothel. Like, it's a whole thing. So it's a bar downstairs. Um, It used to be a brothel. Uh, It's a bar and restaurant downstairs. And it's a brothel. Used to be a brothel upstairs. And now they do, like, tours of the brothel um, for, like, special occasions and things like that. Um, Because they get a ton of paranormal activity, which is super interesting to me, at least. Um, so a local legend actually says that he kept bodies of a few of the men he killed in there. So there's a section of the restaurant that used to be a gigantic freezer, like with a big metal door and all of that. Um, a big humongous freezer 
And his brother-in-law owned it at the time of the murders. So his wife's brother owned it at the time of the murders. And so he kind of was able to come and go as he pleased. He was able to, you know, stay there and pretty much do whatever he wanted with the place. Um, And he was there constantly, according to um, locals and things like that. Um, And that freezer has actually since been renovated into the ladies' restroom. Um, So now when you go to the ladies' restroom in the Silver Dollar, you have to actually open that big, huge metal freezer door to go into the ladies' room. And so many people, so many ladies... um, have reported strange things happening to them. Um, they hear voices, they hear crying, um, knocking. A couple of women have said that they felt cold spots. They felt somebody grab them like by the shoulders or by the hand or something. Um, just some really strange things, especially because you're not in a bathroom for very long. Um, so the fact that in such a short period of time, they're able to, um, experience these things and so many women have experienced these things um, it's kind of crazy um, so that's really interesting and even a lot of the local women who have been there a lot of times her regulars things like that they won't even go into the ladies restroom anymore like it's pretty common for a woman to just swing open the men's do- door and be like it's time and all the men come out And then the ladies go in there because they absolutely will not go into the ladies' bathroom because of all of the activity that they experience in there. Um, So that's a pretty interesting little tidbit. Um, But that is all I have for you today. This is my first episode, so it's going to be... So it's a little shorter than they will be in the future, Um, Like I said, I'm hoping to get some listener stories in and I'm hoping to share some of those. Eventually, at some point, I'll get my life together and I'll get my Patreon up. Um, But I do have some... Sorry, my kids hate me. Um, I do have some social media. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's going to be truly... It's at trulywickedpod. On Twitter, at trulywickedpod. And you can email me at trulywickedpod at gmail.com. And then, of course, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, So that's really helpful. Um, Feel free to reach out to me. If you're going to send in a listener story, please send it to the email account. Uh, The DMs don't really come in a very helpful format for um, long stories and things like that for a lot of text um so it'll be a lot easier and then just put listener story in the subject line so I know how to separate it um for future reference it'll make it easier for me so I appreciate that and of course if you want to sponsor an episode you can always reach out to me that way like I said I will have a patreon up hopefully shortly um so we'll get that ball rolling at that point Please like and share and leave a good review if you like my podcast and I will see you next time. Thanks.